Welcome, everybody, to The Spoken Nerd, the podcast about database technology. On today's episode, we finish off chatting to product manager Maria Colgan. We cover all sorts of interesting things in this episode, DevOps, how she got into presenting, the emergence of AI, and finish off with some non-technical stuff, why she loves Safari, her correct choice of camera gear, and which movies that she looked at during Oscar season. So let's finish off this chat with Maria Colgan. There used to be a talk that you and Gerald would do, the DBA versus developer talk, and you would each have a t-shirt. I think I think you had the DBA shirt on, mm-hmm. and Gerald might have had the developer shirt on. Uh, it was always about a leaning toward how you could then bring those two roles together in terms of DevOps. The reason I want to bring this up is just recently I had a Twitter exchange and I was talking about this merging of roles in the sense that we're you know, breaking down the barriers between DBAs and developers. And they responded, they said, it's never about the technology anyway. It's always about the culture in an organization and the politics in the sense that as developers, we never get access to doing anything because the DBAs hold too much power. Do you think it's true that even though we now have things like DevOps, we have far better facilities in terms of continuous integration, continuous delivery. You know, we, we have automated test cycles. We, we've done so much in terms of the tech space, in terms of uh, a greater fluidity between development, development, test and production. Yet people on Twitter are still saying, that's just tech. The, the culture of DBA versus developer is still alive and well. A, do you think that's true? And B, do you think, how do we, if, if you do think it's true, how do we make headway? Inevitably, there's always going to be that cultural issue. We had exactly the same thing when we made our foray into hardware and we introduced Exadata. There was this drama around system people, the sysops and the DBA, right? Who controlled what, who controlled the storage and how the storage was mirrored and, and divided up and all the rest of it. There was always some friction there that has eventually dissolved, right? And now they are kind of one team, those folks that are on both sides that they tend to be on the single team. I think long-term, it is all going to evolve into DevOps. Short-term, as you say, humans are humans, right? And we all like to believe that our tribe is the better tribe and all the rest of it. So from that perspective, the, uh, the DBA developer, there will be some friction there. But cloud, I've seen certainly internally inside of Oracle, be a massive eye opener when we became a cloud provider. And our own development organizations are now truly DevOps orgs where they've got to support the code and everything they're writing and they've got to run it the way customers experience stuff. It's been a massive culture shift and a massive change in the way we do things and the mindset people have when they set out to write new technology. So to me, it's only a good thing and it will I think eventually become the predominant situation. But having lived through the other one between the sysops and the DBAs, this one's going to, it'll take a while, but I think people, it will eventually melt into one group and become a little easier. But yeah, it takes, it takes a while for people to. I have to admit, my, my keenness for DevOps actually comes back to my brother-in-law, Alan, who has a, a three-share partnership in They Own a Boat. There's three three friends and they own a boat. And I said, how do you manage it, the cost and everything? And he said, we have a simple policy, which pertains to DevOps, which is you f*** it up, you fix it. (laughs) 
I'll, I'll bleep that out in the uh, in the edit. It, it's true. The the rule is, you know, if you if you have an ownership of what you built and what you do, and you have to follow that through all the way, you often end up with a much better result because you have a lot of pride. And and what's more, you know, the stakes are higher because it's you're the one that's going to be held accountable to to sorting out the mess should things go wrong. But in terms of culture clash between DBA and developers, probably the biggest, I wouldn't say culture clash, maybe cultural shift I've seen just in the last few weeks on the internet is that of artificial intelligence. Because for, for years, we've been saying AI is the future. You know, you pick up the phone and you'll phone a call center and you'll get, hi, I'm Molly, your digital assistant. And all you're doing is screaming down the line, speak to real person, speak to real person, speak to real person, or, or swearing or something at it. And you're just going absolutely nuts. But all of a sudden, probably just the last maybe six months, we had, or was it Dali, which mm-hmm. is the one that would create random pictures for you. Uh, then there was Lenza, which took over the Apple universe recently, which is you type, take a selfie and it would give you 12 different you yeah. know, shots. Sort of. And now um, I know people are using Mid Journey, yeah. which you, know, you type in description, you get these amazing artworks. Uh, an old Oracle guy, actually, a guy named Carl Haley, who used to work at Oracle, yeah. is a big fan of that. But I suppose all of those things have been absolutely dwarfed by chat, is it chat GPT? Yeah. Which I have to admit, I, you know, like everyone, I've been in there typing in a few questions and stuff and I've been blown away by what comes back. Yeah. First question I'll ask on that is I won't, I won't be too generic in terms of AI. Let's keep it nice and narrow focus. Do you think chat GPT will be the death of Stack Overflow? Oh, uh, excellent question. Certainly not initially, because obviously everybody's played with it and we've all read the poems that it's written about Exadata and all the rest of it. But it's the I think when you get down to the techie, techie detail, it hasn't learned enough in that space. As difficult as it is to learn language and poetry and all the rest of it, the techie detail wasn't there. At least it wasn't when we asked it about some queries and the queries that it was writing and stuff like that. That said, doesn't mean it couldn't be trained. Goodness knows, you know, if you can learn to write poetry, you can definitely learn to write better sequel and stuff like that. Um, although I have to admit recently, uh, my partner Genevieve pinged me a question on on a Slack channel saying, look, I need to write this SQL. I've got, you know, sales data. It wasn't actually sales data, but I'll, I'll use sales data because she works in the healthcare industry. I have sales data and I need to present, uh, I need this month and last month on, in, on the same row. And I said, oh, well, you know, you can use a lag and a lead for that. Mm-hmm. And she, she said, oh, look, I couldn't, can't get the syntax right. And so when she was at my house that later that night, we tried it on ChatGPT. We said, I've got a sales table. I need current month and, ne- and next month in the same row. And it did it with a self-join. So it joined the sales table to itself to get mm-hmm. the, the two values. And then I typed in, don't do a self-join. Use a window function, please. And it came back with a very, very accurate version of lag and lead to, to get the data. And literally Genevieve cut and pasted it into her Slack channel and you know changed the table names to protect the innocent next day and it worked off the bat. And I was super impressed with that. The fact that it could, with a little bit of prompting, it could actually come up with a SQL statement, which would you would call best practice. No, I was just gonna say I'm curious if the folks behind it had narrowed have taught it to narrow it down to the most generic solution because not all database or you know, data access programs would have the capability of the window function. I wonder if that's why it gave you the self-join as the answer, because it's the lowest common denominator. Certainly possible. I, I, in fact, what I should do is throw in some pattern matching queries. 
and see how it goes. One, one would imagine, as he, as he puts on his spruiking hat, it would say, I'm sorry, only Oracle does this because no one else has it. So, and I go, well, that's right. I'm using Oracle. Why wouldn't I? But anyway, it's funny how, you know, not that I have any, any financial interest in Stack Overflow, but I, I have concerns because already I could see someone, you go to Stack Overflow and you, you, you could post a question. Well, that takes time and effort. Mm-hmm. Well, you can search in Stack Overflow, but then you're going through, it's like a Google search. You're going through a list of potential answers. Yeah. Whereas all of a sudden the ability to say, I want the answer to my question just bang it into chat GPT, I, I could see that absolutely dominating um, the discussion. And what's more, because Stack Overflow is Google searchable, you can pretty much imagine that all of Stack Overflow's contents are already in there. That's so. true, right? Yeah, that it's it's educated itself with it. I, the human interaction, I, I've hard pushed that, as you said, we're all screaming down the phone, I want to speak to a human. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that's going to go away quite as quick. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting how intelligent it's become so do you think it will end up becoming something that people use to write code because maybe everyone was talking about everyone's talking about git copilot being the greatest thing since sliced bread which i like that the concept of you know a couple of clicks and you've got the semblance of a program and then you fill in the fill in the, the details the, the artistry yeah. of it yeah. i suppose you know maybe this will be the same thing you know why 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 would you have to worry about the artistry yourself of coding if ChatGPT is going to build the whole thing for you yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. It depends on how simple or complex. So I think if you were doing your, you know, high school or early computer science homework, do I think it could help you do your homework? Yeah, unfortunately, I do. You've seen plenty of demos of that where it's written a paper that's good enough yep. to to get you past a course and so on. But I think the artistry, as you said, the finesse of those more complicated situations. I'm not sure when it's going to be able to handle all of that, but your basic hello world. And and like I said, your, your basic computer uh, homework. Yeah. I imagine it, it's well able for that even today. I have to admit, I, um, I played with the concept of, I asked ChatBT to write me a blog on SQL tuning and actually posted it on my blog. I, I said, this is a fake post, but, and, and it was one of those things where it just went round and round sort of in circles going, you know, make sure you've got good plans, make sure you've got the right indexes in place. And don't forget, check your indexes and make sure they're reliable. And if necessary, make sure your indexes are correct. Yeah, like there's a lot of circular stuff, but at least it read, it, it read reasonably okay. But it would be funny to see that you and I often have to give a lot of presentations. And what people don't know is that to give a presentation, one has to build a presentation. I sort of almost look forward to the day I can type into chat BT, yeah, please build me a deck on the following, using the, <laughs> fo- using the following template, and then I'll just fill in the rest. So well, that, that could be useful. Speaking of presenting, you're very well known in the community, not just being as a product manager, but being a master presenter. When did you get into presenting? Oh, it was a long time ago. It was actually when I still worked in the Real World Performance Group. We got asked to do a session at Open World, oh God, years and years and years ago. And the first one was absolutely brutal. We scripted the whole thing. And we studied our lines like really bad high school play kind of thing. And I know, as if no passion or understanding, I just regurgitated what I thought were the critical things to folks. So yeah, the first one, most people would be grateful that they missed that one. It was not my most stellar moment. But the joy of sharing knowledge and sharing how to do something and simplifying it for folks, kind of demystifying it. 
uh, was very appealing to me. And so with a little bit of practice, it wasn't quite so painful to sit in the sessions, I hope. But yeah, that was my very first taste of it. Was a, it was open world many, many moons ago. You and I have that wonderful privilege and luxury of that our first dallying attempts at presenting were done in the era of pre-YouTube and pre-video. Thanks be to God. And it's so yeah. good, isn't it? It's like, you know, people often say, they go, oh, you know, you seem really relaxed presenting. And I just go, yes, that was always the case. Always the case. <laughs> yeah, because there's no evidence. There's no evidence out there. My, most of the people that saw my first talks have either died or got out of IT. And so, you know, I go, yes, yes, I was always totally relaxed on stage, always very well prepared. It just came totally naturally. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of being able to lie. It's, just, it's like, yeah, they'll never know. They'll never know how bad it was. Oh, no, I still have the painful memories. I don't think I can blot it out quite as as quick as you did, but yeah. A variant of presenting is we, you and I both do the occasional YouTube video. Yours have sort of morphed into a more anime style. You're using some cartoon. Uh, what, what drew you to that? So it was actually my boss who said it, who introduced me to that. Uh, Juan Luisa, his kids had been dabbling in it and he really liked the medium. And the more I played around with it, the easier it was for me. The worst the thing I hate most, and it's the one thing I dislike about Zoom, is being on camera myself or watching yourself on camera because all your little idioms, everything you don't like about yourself is kind of greatly magnified and in your face. And so when I was editing videos for YouTube where I was presenting, I was way more hung up about what I looked like or my God, that piece of your hair is sticking out. And I, you know, no one told me I should have brushed my hair before the video started, whatever. That drove me mental where when we did the animated version of it, it was all about the content and what was on the content. And I thought they were just a little bit more interesting than if I only ever showed you a command line interface with the examples. I thought it would just be a little nicer to do it with the, the cartoons and stuff. But it also forced me to keep it short and concise, which I also think is kind of important for video content. I think one of our failings at Oracle is we publish a lot of content which is an hour long and, and that's not in the modern world. In fact, YouTube used to say they used to value present, you know, value videos about 10 minutes long. And I read, read recently that that's, they've actually redone that now. They're looking at six, six, five to six minute time frame. And plus, of course, you've got the emergence of TikTok and shorts, which are you know, a minute long. When I actually interviewed one of our interns at Oracle, I was asking, you know, how do you learn stuff? And she was saying, oh, if I can just find a 30 second video on it, that's perfect. And I was like, oh, that, that, that just killed 99% of my YouTube videos, but not to worry. It's funny you talk about recording of oneself in, in things like Zoom. It's funny if you do enough of it, though. It's funny how I now can just look at the audio waveform and I, I say um and so, so many times because every time I start a sentence, I'm like, so, Maria. And so I've got so many nowadays that I can actually look at the waveform and go, yep, that's so, that's um, that's er, and I can just edit them out simply because I'm going, I do it so frequently I now know the shape. I know the shape of my, <laughs> my own failings, which is just tragic. Obviously related to presenting is the fact that we do it at conferences. We've just come back, when I say just come back, a few months ago now, we've just been to Cloud World in Vegas. I asked Dom the same thing and I'll ask you, do you think it's a good thing to move to Vegas and away from San Francisco for Cloud World or our major conferences? Pros and cons is how I would say it. There were a couple of things I liked 
about Vegas that I wasn't I, okay. So I should be honest. I wasn't expecting to like anything about the Vegas experience. I was a diehard born and raised in, you know, open world, San Francisco. That's what I knew and loved. And I was very worried about the shift to Vegas because it's a different vibe, right? It's, yeah, and the motivations to go to Vegas are very different to the motivations to go to a technical conference. So the pleasantly surprised, I did actually like that we were co-located. In fact, I disliked the fact that we ended up using the um, Caesars Forum. Yeah, I liked everything that happened in Venetian, and and I think going forward they're going to keep it all in a single location rather than trying to do multi-location because I thought there was great cohesiveness to that. Everybody was staying there, or nearly everybody was staying there. All the sessions were there, the hands-on labs were there, the keynotes were there. It felt much more like Moscone to me in that respect, and I thought that was great. I'm not a big fan of the casinos. I'm not a very brave gambler. You know, 20 bucks is my my limited stuff. So that aspect of Vegas wasn't terribly appealing. But there was some lovely restaurants and stuff that we could try when we were there. So, you know, pros and cons. I, I was the same. I was worried because I was talking to my manager, Mike Hitchra, and I was saying, you know, there are so many motivations to go to Vegas that won't be tech related. And so I was worried that we would get an audience demographic which had gone to their manager and said, yes, I need to go to open world and we would never see them. You know, that, that would simply disappear into the bars and the casinos. And, and maybe that was there, but I, I certainly didn't feel that. I didn't pick up. I, I agree on Caesars Forum because I, I had talks in Caesars Forum and what I found was there was constantly people coming in all the way through your talks because they had been you know, like, I didn't know how to get here. I couldn't find it. I had to cross a bridge. The bridge was closed, et cetera. But I think everyone was aware of that. And I think we'll fix that for next year. One point you made, which I really want to take up on, which I agreed is that it felt there was a nice intimacy in Venetian. You would bump into people. You would, you know, you would come out of one room and there, because there were talks all lined up along a whole series of rooms as you came out, you'd bump into other people and whatever. And I, that felt really, really good. That felt even better, in my opinion, than Moscone because Moscone, mm -hmm. some of those rooms are great for keynotes, but you don't need a 1,000-seat room for a you know for a 300-person talk. So I, I was really, as, as you said, I was worried about Vegas, but I was super impressed, especially with that Venetian side. I thought that brought back that nice intimacy. And along that line, do you think the future of conferences – Maybe not things like Cloud World, but the future of conferences is smaller events because we do see the major user group events becoming less frequented, but their smaller events becoming more popular in terms of, of you know much more frequent style, smaller kind of meetups. Do you think that's the future of conferences? I think so. I think the because there's so much content available now. I don't know about you, like when we would first go to conferences, that would be a huge opportunity for education in new tech, you know, the new features, new technology. It was our training. Because there yeah. just wasn't any other way. But now, because everything's online, there's videos, there's blogs, there's documentation, everything's available to you online. I don't think that desire to go to the user group to learn or to be educated is, is nearly as great as it was. But the smaller, more frequent ones on a perhaps more like directed topics, I think is definitely going to become the future of it. Yeah. Okay. And I, I think that'll be a challenge for us in the sense that it's much tougher. It's, it's much tougher to run 10 100 person events than one 1000 person event. <laughs> yeah. The logistics is just a pain, et cetera. But, um, Oh, I'm, I'm sure we're up to it. Now, I'll finish off the podcast by getting a little bit off the tech because I've finally made it down to the last sentence in your LinkedIn profile. 
which is during my downtime, I can be found either in Ireland with friends and family or on safari in Africa where I get to indulge in my passion for wildlife photography. We've talked briefly about Ireland, so let's move on to wildlife photography. Where have you been? Like, do you go on safaris? Where have you been on some of the safaris? So we did a lot in South Africa, the more, uh, and then Kenya, and more recently in Botswana is was the last one, which was on the bucket list for a long while. That was one of these pre-COVID trips that kept getting postponed and postponed and postponed. So we finally got to do it. And it was unbelievable. Uh, it, it's, it's funny, safari is one of those things You'll talk to people and there's a bunch of people who'd be like, I've no zero interest. Don't understand why you'd want to be out there in the, you know, the back of a Land Rover bashing around the bush looking for animals. But then there's another group who's, who's like, I've always wanted to do that. And I was definitely in that camp. And once I had my first one, you do kind of get mildly addicted to it of just one better shot or, you know, I, I want to find this animal that others have seen that I've never had a chance to see in the wild. Uh, so yeah. It's... Are you are you a luxury safari person or are you a hardcore, we're out sleeping in the tents on the ground in the dusk kind of safari person or a mix of the, or a mix of the two? <laughs> yeah. So my husband would say I am not hardcore for sure. He is super hardcore. He would absolutely camp, no bother. We did stay in tents. Uh, we have stayed in tents. He does not consider them proper camping though, because they do have an indoor bathroom and there is a shower, even if it is a bucket and stuff. So for him, that's not hard roughing it camping. So yeah, I would, I'd say I'm more on the luxury camp inside of things for sure i i am rather fond of a real toilet <laughs> and in botswana so i'd imagine in kenya i've known friends who've done gone safari in kenya what, what was the, what's the wildlife of, of choice in, in botswana it depends on what you think the, the great thing about botswana is that the majority of the country has been given over to wildlife and safari uh, the opportunity to go on safari and stuff like that so they have a huge diverse range of animals there for me i have it's going to be right up Martin's uh, Wickley's uh, tree. I, I'm big cats. If it's a cat of any kind, I'm in. Funnily enough, domestic cats, not so much, but the big cats in the wild fascinate me. The dynamic among the pride and 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 the coalitions that they form is fascinating uh, to me. And I could watch them all day, every day. But the thing that surprised me the most in Botswana were the elephants. We'd certainly seen elephants on safari previous to that, but nowhere near the big numbers of them and nowhere near the playfulness of the elephants in Botswana seemed incredibly relaxed. They had these really big families, lots of babies and just pure joy of being alive. Couldn't be captured any other way than watching the elephants play in the river. Yeah, it was pretty spectacular. So, certainly every time I watch you know, the countless David Attenborough shows, it always blows me away that elephants, they do seem so social. That they seem close to humans in that sense, in the sense that, you know, there's very much, you know, go see Auntie Bess. She'll look after you if you've got a thorn in your foot, you know, whatever. It's, it's very much sort of that, that, the kind of things that we would do as, as human beings. Now, controversy time. This could be a podcast ending question and answer here. What camera gear do you use? <laughs> what, camera brand, what camera brand are you using on your safari? Um, so Canon, I'm afraid. I know that's oh, yeah. look, a woman after my own heart. I'm a Canon man. We are recording this on a Canon camera. All you Nikon people can just, 
and Panasonic people. And- oh, I know there's strong push within my circle of folks for the Sony at the moment. That oh. seems very, very popular. Some folks that can remain anonymous here, but you know, my boss and Chris Rice, but you know, those kind of people are, are pushing for the Sony. But yeah, I it's basically what you know, honestly. It's it's a bit like the Mac PC kind of conversation. All of my experience has been with Canon. And so we already had a lot of the lenses and the stuff that you need. And although, yes, they've done amazing things with the camera bodies over the years, that controls the rough, here's how I set the ISO level, here's how I do this. It's all stayed pretty much the same. And so once you're kind of down one line, you're kind of stuck on it, I think. I agree. I'm I'm a Canon man. And I have to admit, I do have some friends who are big Sony fans and... um. And, and certainly when it comes to recording video, the Sony's generally people claim are better. So I get a lot of push from people saying, oh, yeah, you do videos on YouTube. You must be using Sony. But no, I'm a, I'm a Canon man. Now, closely related to being out in the desert, doing it rough around wild animals is building Lego, another hobby of yours. When did that start and how on earth did that start? So that started way back in childhood. Um, I have a younger brother. I had older sisters and a younger brother. And when he arrived, he wasn't terribly popular, God bless him, uh, with three older sisters. But when he arrived, the types of toys that came into the house evolved a little bit. And Lego started to show up more often because apparently when we were kids, that was a boy toy as opposed to a girl toy. And I was fascinated with that. It's the it's a bit like the coding Right. If you type in all this code, you eventually get the game at the other end. If you put all these blocks together, you eventually get something very cool, whether when his stuff, you know, the fire station, the airport, whatever it was you were building as kids. And so I had a love for it then. But by the time you become a tween or a teenager, whatever, it all goes by the by. And it was somebody bought me a set years later that kind of got me back into it. And, And Lego figured out they had all of these fans that were kids 30 years ago or <laughs> giving myself a youthful reject rejection there but you know that were kids 30 odd years ago that are still fans today that they still find it very relaxing to put the pieces together and, and build something and so yeah that kind of got me back into it with more the adult kits that that are out there now i think it might have been my husband mark who bought me the the first kit that got me back into it because there's some big kits out there now. There's very big. Oh kits. yeah, yeah. So the, my Christmas present was a, a was the Harry Potter train um, thing. It's massive. I mean, the hardest part of all of that is where the heck do you put it once it's built? <laughs> so yeah, some of them are, are like the I, I've deliberately avoided the Eiffel Tower because I have no idea where we would store that once it was built. So you've tweeted over the years the number of the, the big Lego kits you've assembled. Are they? Do you keep them assembled? Do you? do you? Yeah, yeah. So they they loiter around the house. And so where other people might have a nice china cabinet, uh, if you look too closely in our bookcases and cabinets, there are uh, Lego models hidden around the house. I think older generation find a little odd, but yeah, they're they're all still here somewhere. I, as I said, we might need to build an extra room onto the house to store some of this stuff. I feel bad breaking it down and putting it back in the box. I do. My son was an avid Lego fan. And yeah, he was like, he would build them and literally he'd go, I'm done. And then you take it apart and put it away in the box. And I'm just like, what are you doing? It's like it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, it's like ripping him apart. I never understood it, but that's just that was just his way. I'll finish off with one thing that we've been very lucky to chat here in January, because I know that there is no chance ever of getting you for any kind of time in February because it's Oscars season. And I know that you're an avid watcher of movies. 
Now, I've got the list of 10 Oscars Best Movies nominations here. Let's go through and see. Now, this this, yeah. this could work out really well or work out really badly. But okay, <laughs> you, you can give me a yes or no if you've seen them. Okay. Okay. The Fablemans. Not yet. No. The Banshees of Inisherin. Of course, yes. I, I am the same. That I've I will I hope that wins Best Picture. That was just <laughs> a magnificent movie. Uh, women Talking. No, no, um, I haven't seen that yet. A bunch of women in a barn. I need to see it, but I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Have you seen Tar? That's an Australian actress, Kate Blanchett. No, I'd love to it, see that. Yeah, it looks amazing. The problem I'm having with some of these is they're not available on streaming yet. Dragging your ass actually into the cinema, which everybody's still a little nervous about here. It's, it's funny in terms of when it comes to monetary investment, there was a cinema complex here in Perth that obviously nearly went under in COVID, but they literally bet the bank. They loaned big and literally rebuilt their cinemas inside out. So every chair is reclining and, and the whole thing. And they said, we're, yeah, we're either going out bankrupt or we're coming back with a, And they've survived and now... Every other cinema in Perth is now deserted and everyone goes to these ones. So, uh, yeah, they've, they've, they've done well. So everything, everywhere, all at once. No, I, uh, but I, I haven't seen that one yet. Although I, I believe that's going to run away with it, to be honest with you. This is the weirdest movie I've seen in a long, long time. I can highly recommend it. Let's just say, you know, take note of the office awards. So someone has some office awards and they play a large role in the movie. And I'm not, there's no spoilers there. Okay. T tell me you've seen Top Gun, Maverick. Of course, we've of seen course. that one twice. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> not I, to love. I took my boys along to that. And you know how at the start of the movie, this no spoilers here for anyone. At the start of the movie, it's pretty much a homage to the original movie for the first five minutes. And my boys who had not seen the first one were like going, this is garbage. It's like, you know, the credits are all rubbish and the footage is blurry. It's like, you know, you've got children when they go, is this 1080p, Dad? Like, they, they, oh, no. They, they're worried about the resolution. Uh, have you seen the Elvis movie? Yes. Is yes, that any good? I, I haven't seen that one. It's not the most uplifting, surprisingly not the most uplifting story in the world, but the characters are played really well. So from that perspective, it, it's amazing. But yeah, I was kind of surprised. It's kind of a darker story than you might have expected. Uh, the Woman King? I haven't seen that. Mm -mm. That's... um. And Glass Onion, are you a Glass Onion fan? Yes. <laughs> I am a Glass Onion fan as well. It's funny, I, I watched it, loved it. I took great delight in, in setting it up for my mother, my sister, various friends. They all came back just going, that was garbage. It was rubbish. And I'm like, no, this is, these are fantastic, these movies. I couldn't believe it. So. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised you got so many negative reviews on that one. Funnily enough, I've gotten a lot of negative on the Banshees of Inishir and it's like, what was that? <laughs> I have to, I think because obviously my father was Irish and my mother obviously was married to him. Like, yeah, she she enjoyed it. Most people I know enjoyed it. But yeah, there, you're right. There are a few people that sort of go, but nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, what That's, was the point of that? I, yeah. yeah. That's very similar to when people come to Perth. I always take them to Rotnest and I have half the people go, that's a little island off the coast of Perth. And people always go, wow, that's so beautiful. And other people go, there's nothing to do. And I go, that's exactly the point. There's nothing to do. Yeah. And they just do not get it at all. Anyway, we could talk movies far longer. I think we'll have to get a book going for who wins the, uh, the Oscar. I think everything, everywhere, all at once might win it, even though oh, that would be good because that would be a sci-fi movie that wins it, which might set the way for other sci-fi movies in future. 
We've already spoken about science fiction today when we covered things like blockchain and the like. So it's a good time to good time to wrap it up. Thank you very much for your time, Maria. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, especially uh, given that we haven't had many face-to-faces in these last COVID few yeah. years. Hopefully, funding allowing, we'll meet each other at conferences around the world in 2023, but more importantly, meet our customers and our friends in the community. So thanks again for your time and I'll hopefully see you somewhere soon. Thanks so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Connor. Thanks for listening to this podcast. The music credit goes to Zanman from Pixabay Music.